Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. God is good. Amen. Well, go with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and um, I'm going to wrap up today the... uh, initial series that we've kicked off with this year. We've been talking about being seated, amen? Seated, seated with Christ in heavenly places. What does that mean to be seated? What does that mean to be seated at the right hand of the Father? You know, it's in there for a reason. You know, a lot of things that are in the word of God, we've got to really dive into to fully comprehend and understand what is the Lord saying? What is why, why are those words there? Why is that wording used? Why is that type of description um, used to express what God is trying to say and what God is trying to do uh, in the body of Christ? And so we're diving into this, this concept of being seated. Well, to understand being seated and being seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, you have to understand the principles of the kingdom of God. Because we don't understand seated at the right hand in the United States of America. That doesn't make sense. Uh, We don't understand being seated at the right hand necessarily maybe in your company or uh, whether you're an employer or an employee. uh, You might not fully understand or comprehend that notion. So we have to dive into the context of the Bible. Amen? And if we don't understand the context of the Bible and that it is not a religious book. It had no religious intention from the beginning of time. God was not establishing a religion or an ideology or a faith. He was establishing a government system called a kingdom. And he was establishing and extending from heaven to the earth the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And if we don't understand kingdom principles and we don't understand what God is really trying to do in the earth, then statements like being seated at the right hand will go right over our head. We'll miss it. We'll miss it because we don't fully understand the concept. We said this, that uh, God's intention from the beginning was that the, the whole Bible is about a king, his kingdom, and then his children, his royal offspring. You are his children, amen? Do I have any children of God in the house today? Then guess what? Your greatness, your royalty, you are royal offspring and children of a king, they are royalty as well. They're not second tier, second class, a lower state of being. They are royalty and you are royalty. And we've already seen and established that God's intention was to extend from heaven, the invisible realm, the earth, which is the visible natural realm. And in doing so, he did not just establish, we saw this, uh, we've got it up there for you. God's original intent was to move the unseen kingdom of God to the seen realm of earth through the unseen spirit of God living in the seen body, you, on the seen of the earth. So let's go through that again. God's original intent was to move the unseen, he did not, he did not uh, intend for 
his heavenly kingdom to remain in an invisible realm or an invisible environment. He desired to extend it to a visible realm, to a natural environment that we have earth. Genesis chapter 1 was the extension of a kingdom, was the advancing of a kingdom. Because all kings love to make advancement. All kings love to extend themselves from one domain, one territory to another. At some point this year, we'll get into kingdom domain, or that's really what the word kingdom literally means, a king's domain. That's what a kingdom is. It is the territory over which a king rules and operates. He wanted to extend his heavenly unseen kingdom to the seen realm of the earth. But he did this through the unseen Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God residing in the seen body, your flesh. Your seen body does not have access or authority to this kingdom without the Holy Spirit. I said without the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, so do you. If the Old Testament Prophets and kings and priests needed the Holy Spirit, so do you. If the apostles of the book of Acts needed the Holy Spirit, so do you. And Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go to be with my Father so I can send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will bring the kingdom to you so then you can take the kingdom to the world. Amen. That Holy Spirit was supposed to come and live in the seen body, our bodies. On the scene of the earth. Amen. And so we've been going through this for the last several weeks. I cannot go in and give a full recap. You'll just have to jump online and get these messages to keep them in front of you. But today we're coming full circle. I said last week that we would come full circle back to being seated. We started out talking about being seated with Christ. You and I are seated with Christ. Then we went to the establishment of God's kingdom. Last week, I walked you through the mission of Jesus. And how many of you, your eyes were opened? You saw some things you hadn't seen before. You, you, you found some things that was like, wow, that's, I had no idea. We made some pretty hard statements, didn't we? But we're addressing head on. See, the, 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 the kingdom of God doesn't just softly get introduced into your life. It won't work that way. It won't work that way. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail. When the kingdom shows up, it demolishes and completely obliterates anything in its path. The kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The kingdom is not softly introduced into your repertoire of religious thinking. The kingdom comes in and completely obliterates and demolishes and destroys all religious thinking. And so to do that, you have to be a little more bold with it. You have to be a little more confrontational with it. Because if you just add it to the, the repertoire of thinking that we already have, we're going to miss what the kingdom's all about. When Jesus came in with the kingdom of God and the kingdom thinking and, and, and kingdom teaching and kingdom preaching, he came in and he made some bold statements. He disrupted things, didn't he? He challenged ideologies. In fact, the, word, the first word he said when he showed up was repent. 
That was the very first word he said. And we learned last week the word repent is not a religious word. It's not a churchy word. It's not a Christian word. Repent. You can repent if you are driving 75 in a 70 mile an hour zone. You can repent and drive 70. That's repentance. I'm simplifying it for you because we thought repentance had to do with an altar call and and crying and weeping down here and asking God, uh, you know, telling God we're sorry for everything we've ever done and asking him to forgive us. He will forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But repentance means to change my thinking. Repentance means to go the other direction. And so Jesus said, look, you're not just going to be, this. we're not just talking about, you know, accepting the kingdom and just veering in a different direction. He says, you're going to have to go completely opposite of the way you're headed. And Jesus challenged some things, boldly, confronted. He said, why do you maintain your traditions and forsake God's commands? What's he saying? You're you're trying to stick with your ideologies. You're trying to do it your way. You're trying to lean on your own understanding, and this is it's not going to work that way. And while we're trying to make up a new way to do it, we're actually abandoning God's way of doing it. And so, if we're going to understand being seated with Christ, if we're going to understand uh, what it means to be doing what Jesus called us and uh, assigned to us to do then we're going to have to understand who he is. This is the bottom line. If we don't accurately discern Jesus' mission, we won't correctly see our mission. It starts with Jesus. If I don't accurately understand who Jesus was, I'll never accurately understand who I'm supposed to be. It's impossible. And so when we miss the mark and we miss the mission of Jesus and we, we, we say things like Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins and get us to heaven, then no wonder we are missing it as a church today. No wonder we are as less interested in what's happening in the realm of the earth than ever before. No wonder the issues of the world are weighing on us. No wonder the challenges and trials of life are wanting us or are moving us to a desire to get to heaven rather than facing the issues head on here. But Jesus' ministry exhibited nothing of what we've made his ministry out to be today. I said the, the three things that we have founded the church on today that we would say are some of our most doctrinal, foundational belief systems, Jesus never even preached about. Being born again, the cross, and getting to heaven. Yet those are the three things that we identify with the church of the living God the most today. And yet Jesus never preached one sermon, one message about any of those three things. And again, I'm not saying that you don't need to be born again. Hear me out. Don't start posting on Facebook and Twitter that pastor down the road at Anchor Faith Church saying you don't have to be born again. Nope, didn't say that. I said Jesus didn't preach about it. He didn't make it his priority of mission. The cross, never preached about the cross. 
And he never preached about heaven. But those are the three things that are the, the crux of Christianity today. If, if we just do those three things, we're, we're doing just good enough. And that Jesus is like, I never talked about those things. Those weren't at the forefront of my ministry. My ministry was about a kingdom. My ministry was about reestablishing the kingdom of heaven back on earth, that man lost in the garden. That man forfeited in the garden. That man compromised in the garden. Now to get the kingdom back, you must be born again. To be born again, you must believe that Jesus died on the cross for the remission of your sins and that he died and he rose again. And when we separate from this body, you will be present with the Lord. But at some point this year, if I'm going to properly preach and educate on, uh, on the kingdom of God, we'll also have to properly educate on heaven. Because we all think that that's a place that we're going. If you read the back of the book, it's not a place that we're going. It's a place that's coming. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the new Jerusalem coming down. to God is going to reestablish his kingdom back on this earth once again. And I'm going to take it one step further. Everything you're doing now determines what happens then. It sure does. We thought it was about gold streets and mansions and hanging out with Jesus. Any, no crying, no sickness, right? All the things that we talk about heaven, and we don't, we don't even have a proper understanding of what heaven's even all about. Heaven's coming back here, I, here to the earth. And so I just, I wanna be ready for whatever God is doing. And I don't wanna make up my way thinking that I'm on, uh, you know, I, I'm just here to, to repent of my sins, live as good as I can, and then one day when I get to heaven, I'll be there for eternity. I want to know what, what is God really up to? Because he's establishing a kingdom that will never pass away. He's establishing an unshakable kingdom. He's establishing a, a kingdom that we learned last week will continue to advance. The advancement of his kingdom, there will be no end. The, the end of the book is over. It's done. And I want to be a part of what he's doing. Amen? Well, to fully understand being seated with Christ, let's look at this verse again. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. We've seen this every week that we've talked about. This is where we have started. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. We saw uh, it in the Passion Translation, reads it this way. Death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, everyone say, but now. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift 
of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. He says that our reigning and that our regal freedom is made available through the one Jesus Christ. So last week, we had to get a clear identification of who Jesus is and what his mission is. And Jesus came to reestablish the kingdom on earth. He came as a king. He came as a royal political individual. He did not come as a religious person. He did not come uh, uh, to be the head of Christianity. He came to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, okay? And everything he did, everything Jesus did in his ministry was for you. And this is where we're gonna connect last week to this week. Everything Jesus did in his ministry, he did for you. Look at Acts chapter one. Look at Acts chapter one. If I'm reigning through Jesus Christ, then I need to properly and accurately understand the mission of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 reads this way. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began. Everyone say began. Underline it, highlight it, put stars around it. Jesus began both to do and teach. So Jesus was just getting started. Y'all see this? Jesus began both to do and teach. It goes on to say, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commands uh, to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the what? The king, up until his very last moment, what is Jesus talking about? The kingdom of God. Up until his very last breath, all the way up until he is ascending to his father in heaven, it's still on his lips. He is talking to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. But I wanna highlight that first verse. It says that Jesus began both to do and teach. This is the thing about Jesus's ministry. What Jesus began, he never intended to end with him. What Jesus began to do, he never intended to end with him. Jesus intended to show us a way. Jesus intended to establish a system and a protocol and a standard for how his disciples and his followers would live their lives after he was gone. Jesus did not come to this planet for three years and do the ministry and the work that he did and expect it to end and die off when he left the earth. He was just getting started. And he spent three years, we saw it last week, exhibiting authority and power over every possible 
uh, uh, power and authority that was in the earth at that time. He exhibited power over sin. He exhibited power over sickness and disease. He exhibited power over death itself. He exhibited power over natural things, storms. He told storms to stop. He, he cursed a fig tree and it died at the root. Jesus exhibited power over demons, principal, uh, principalities and powers. He, he, there was not one thing he did not conquer. There was not one thing that was off limits from Jesus' authority. Everything we had authority over in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he exhibited authority over it. And nothing that was left out of 126, Genesis 126, did he exhibit power. He never exhibited power over God, and he never exhibited power over man. He couldn't change man's will. He couldn't make man. You know, we say things like God can do whatever he wants. No, he can't. No, he can't. God cannot do whatever he wants to do. First off, we know God can't lie. God is a man that he should not lie. God cannot lie. God cannot fail. And let me give you another one. God cannot override the will of man. He can't do it. If he could, I'm sure that he would force us all to follow him, right? Well, maybe some of us, maybe some of us, he don't want following him. No, he would want, the Bible says that he desires that none perish, not one. But yet he cannot exhibit power and authority over your will. Can't do it. He couldn't force Adam and Eve to not eat of the fruit of the tree, could he? Couldn't do it. It required us, out of love, to voluntarily submit and serve the will of the Father in heaven. Amen. And so, we have to understand that Jesus came and exhibited the authority, what he began to do. When you begin to do something, there is, uh, there, there is the inherent value that it should be continued. That there, there's the automatic response that if he began something, then it should be finished, right? It's got to continue on. Look at this in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're going to take this in bite-sized pieces. I've already given you the, the essence of being seated with Christ and what that means, what that authority entails, what that authority covers, what that authority governs. But now I have to, you have to walk out of here knowing today that you have been authorized on the behalf of heaven to continue the work that Jesus started. If Jesus began it, somebody has to finish it. Luke chapter 12, verse 31. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Notice he doesn't say seek salvation, seek going to church, uh, seek, uh, you know, blessing, or, you know, he says seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 32, do not fear little flock. 
for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give it to you. It's yours for the taking. The uh, uh, Passion Translation, verse 32, reads this. So don't ever be afraid, dearest friends. Your loving Father joyously gives you his kingdom realm with all its promises. He joyously gives you his kingdom realm. That means you have access to his kingdom realm with all its promises. Now, I want you to come over here to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 12. It reads this way, the New King James, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do. Now, this is Jesus speaking. He's at the end of his ministry. His ministry is winding down. His ministry is wrapping up. And he's telling his disciples, Most assuredly, you can have the utmost confidence. Verily, verily. I'm not not hiding anything. I'm not making any bones. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to sneak this by you. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these. And greater works than these. What are these? The works that I've been doing. Greater works than what I've been doing. He will do. Because I'm going to the Father. Because I go to the Father. Because I will no longer be in the earth performing these works in the manner of which I'm performing them today. Now remember, authority was given. In Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, authority was given to man. What is man? Man is a body that possesses a soul, mind, will, and emotion, and houses a spirit being. If you're in this room today, that's who you are. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, and you live in a body. This is, your, this is your outer temple, the outer shell. This is the outer vessel that allows your spirit to operate in this earth. When your outer shell or this body on the outside decays, it, it no longer your spirit no longer has access to the earth because God spoke it a certain way. He said, man shall govern, man shall rule, man shall have dominion. So Jesus did what he did. We said this last week. Jesus did what he did in the earth, not as God. I know he was God. He was God in the flesh. The word was with God. The word was God, right? And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, right? Full of grace, full of truth. But Jesus didn't do the signs and the wonders and the works that he did as God. 
Jesus did what he did as a man, submitted to the Father, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus did what he did. That's why Jesus did the works that he did. And so we have to understand this connection. Because if I put Jesus in a different category, then I won't understand being seated at the right hand of the Father. I won't understand this verse, which most Christians, they they don't even give this verse its proper due diligence. They don't even give this verse. Like we, we have trouble comprehending this verse. And I wanna make this verse easy for you to comprehend. I wanna make this verse easy for you to swallow. I wanna make this verse right here, John 14, verse 12. I want this to be able to be comprehended by all the saints, all the church, the power and the ability and the authority that you have in the earth. He said, most assuredly, with great confidence, I say to you, he who believes in me. So right there is your qualifying statement. That's your qualifier. It's not five-fold ministry. I'm not a pastor. You know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm convinced that there should be far more ministry happening outside of these walls than what's happening in these walls. If I can just be honest with you, the church is an education center. This is where the church comes, the body of Christ comes to get trained up, built up, edified, exhorted, encouraged, trained. So we're not tossed to and fro by every, this is where we are called to grow up. This is where we are called to learn and discover who we are. But we have put the weight of what the church should be doing on this hour, hour and a half opportunity that we have right here every week. And we wait Sunday from Sunday. And we even see people sick. We see people lost. You engage people every week. Their marriages are broken. Their bodies are sick. Their minds are broken. And we say things like this, if I could just bring them to church. We say things like this, well, you need to come see my pastor and he can pray for you. We do that. And that was not God's design. God's design wasn't for you to bring people to church. God's design was to bring the church to the people. And God's looking down and he's saying, you do it. Now, if you don't feel confident in it, you come here and you get trained and you get equipped, right? Because the fivefold gifts, the fivefold ministry, Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, the pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Equipping of who? Not the saints watching the fivefold ministry do everything and bringing people to the fivefold ministry, but I exist in your life to strengthen and empower and equip you so when you walk back out those doors, you can do something about the lost and dying world. 
In fact, this verse, this verse is Jesus getting away from everybody relying on one man to do it all. There was one time uh, uh, a father brought his son that was demon-possessed to his disciples. And his disciples couldn't do anything about it. And so the man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you heal? I, I brought him to the disciples and, and, and they couldn't, they, they, they tried, they couldn't do the thing. And, and, and so, and Jesus healed him and, and, and he turns around and he goes, how much longer? How long must, how much longer must I, how much more patience must I have? Because what am I, what's he trying to do? He's trying to extend himself from one man doing every miracle to many people operating and living like Jesus in the earth today. And you know that there are Christians that don't like me talking like that. It's a sad case. They call it arrogance. They call it pridefulness. Oh, you think you're Jesus. No, I don't think I'm Jesus. I think I can do what Jesus said I can do. And I think I can have what Jesus said I can have. And I think I can be what Jesus said I can be. And he said, I say to you, he who believes in me, God, I believe in you. Father, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. The works that I do, Jesus said, he, the person that believes in me, will do also. And he could put a period right there, and that would have been enough for me. And then he goes on and says, and greater works, greater works will he do because I'm going. I'm going to the Father. I'm not staying here forever. I have started something. You finish. Jesus said, tag, you're it. He's handed off the baton and says, you run the race. Do what I've been doing. Say what I've been saying. Preach what I've been preaching. Go where I've been going. And go to the places I haven't even gone yet. Jesus commanded his disciples, go into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, Jesus didn't even go to those places. He even told people, I've been sent for a specific mission. But I'm going to hand this thing off to you, and this thing is going global. This thing's going international. This thing's going to every trunk, every tongue, every tribe, every people, every nation, every race. But not if the church doesn't get a hold of who they are. And if we'll stop just merely holding church services and start being the church. But, you know, a lot of pastors have, have made their people dependent upon them. Because if I train you how to do this verse, then I'm not needed. No, I'll always be needed. You'll always need a pastor. You'll always need a shepherd. You'll always need an overseer in your life, watching over your soul, as the Bible says. Keepers of your soul. I, you'll always need this capacity in your life. But we need believers, we need the church to go out and be the church, not just have church, not just congregate in a church, but take this thing to the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. So here's the key, you gotta get this. You got to get this. Jesus did not come to show us what he could do. 
Jesus came to show us what we could do. Jesus did not come to show us what he could do. He came to show us what we could do. Now look, if I said Jesus is our example, oh, I believe that, Pastor. The example of how we should, and, and, and then what we do is we decide what he's an example of in our lives. Well, he's an example of how to be nice to people. Right? Uh, he, he's an example of how to, how to love your neighbor as yourself. True, absolutely. Uh, he, he's an example of how to listen to the Father and obey him. You're right. But he's also an example to us of much, much more. And so if we pick and choose which Jesus you like, Everybody's got their own little version of Jesus that they want to follow, right? We don't get to pick and choose the example that Jesus sets for us. We follow what he did. And Jesus came to this earth to show you what a Genesis 1.26 man looks like. He came to show you what it looks like to rule to govern, to operate in dominion, to have authority in the earth, just like God said in Genesis 1 verse 26. That's what he came to show us. That's what he came to show us. I'll even go a step further. He even showed us how to be fruitful and multiply. I know we always write that off as, oh, that means to have kids and, you know, No, he multiplied himself. He was fruitful with his ministry and he poured into others. He poured into those everybody else had written off. He poured into those that that, that nobody would have picked. He poured into into sinners. He poured into lost people. He poured into uh, 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 Pharisees. He poured into centurions. He poured into anybody he could come into. He was fruitful and he multiplied himself. But Jesus came to be an example to us of what Genesis 1, 26 looks like. Look at Matthew chapter 16. When we say live like Jesus, you know, when I was in, I was probably in middle school when these became popular, the WWJD bracelets. Y'all remember those? What would Jesus do? And we typically use that as a bracelet to, as a reminder of, don't punch him in the face. What would Jesus do, right? Don't cuss him out. I'm not going to cuss him out. I got, what would Jesus do? Jesus wouldn't cuss him out. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Maybe we'll do a, a, a series on that. What would Jesus do? And we'll talk about all the things that Jesus did. We'll talk about what he confronted. We'll talk about what he challenged. We'll talk about what he disrupted. <laughs> what would Jesus do? He wouldn't let that go on very long. He'd start flipping over some tables and 
what would Jesus do? He'd go after the he'd go after the one and abandon the ninety nine to find. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? John fourteen twelve. That's what Jesus would do. The works that I do, He will do also, and even greater works. You know why it's greater? Because there's more of us doing it. I mean, I don't know about you, but a thousand is greater than one. I mean, I'm not real good at math, but I, I know that much. I know that much. And just to be honest with you, out of the population of this world, Christianity, Christianity is still in the minority. We, we're not a majority group. And those are the ones that say they're Christians. So we've got work to do. But it's greater than Jesus doing it by himself. It's greater than one man living within the, the confines and the limitations of flesh in this earth. Jesus never intended to do it all by himself. He intended to multiply himself so that you could do what he did. Look at this in Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father who is in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my what? Come on, everybody say it. I will build my This is the first time Jesus mentions the church. And he's not talking about an event. He's not talking about a religious group. He's not talking about an organization. He's not talking about a building. He's not talking about a name. He's talking about something else. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now look at verse 19. And I will give you, who's you? The church. Now he's talking to the church. I will give you, the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The very first time he mentions the church, he talks about kingdom authority. The very first time. This is no coincidence. He designed the church to be far more than what we've made it to be today. He designed the church to be an extension of the kingdom of God. He designed the church to be a people, not an event, not a group, not an organization, a nation, a people that would take the kingdom of God from heaven and bring it to the earth. Look at this in the Passion Translation. I love how it reads here. In verse 17, Verse 17, start there. Jesus replied, you are favored and privileged, uh, Simeon, son of Jonah, 
for you didn't discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. So Peter, is he's already established that Peter, what he's just discovered was revealed to him by his Father in heaven. This was not naturally discerned. And he goes on to say, I give you the name Peter, a stone. And this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. Right there, when the first time he mentions the the church, he establishes its level of authority, its level of power it should operate in the earth. This is the church he's talking about. This is you and I he's talking about. I mean, the disciples at this point, they're like, church? What's a church? Well, that church is actually a Greek word, ecclesia or ecclesia. The ecclesia was a government term. The word church isn't even a churchy word itself. The way we think of it. It's not a religious thinking word. The word church is actually a government term. It was a group of citizens that were called out to help legislate government in a community. They were called out of the community so they could help influence the community with government protocol. That's what the church was. So when these disciples hear church, they immediately, instantly relate it as a government term that they had already seen exhibited in the government systems around them. See, this is the thing, is we, this is why I'm telling you we have to abandon and abolish religious thinking because it will block what God is trying to do. If we think of church, that thing that I do Sunday mornings from 10.30 to 12.30 and, and, and where I go to hang out and go to meet people and, and I invest my gifts, and my, then we're going to completely miss what God is trying to do. He's trying to designate a group of people that will come out of society and not live like, sound like, act like, respond like society, but take their cues from heaven and then go back into society and influence that realm with the kingdom of heaven. That's what the church is. And he says right off the bat, he lets them know, and the gates of hell can't touch it. They will not prevail. And just a little side note, he says the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That means hell is on the defensive. He's not, Satan's not chasing you down. Hell's not trying to overcome you and overtake you. He is the one running in the opposite direction. I hope you're getting this. The devil's not your problem. I said, the de- man, y'all should be rejoicing right now. The devil's not my problem. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. The devil's not my problem. The gates of hell. What do gates do? Gates keep stuff out and keep stuff in. They lock things away. And it says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. 
That means he's trying to lock it away. He's trying to keep you out of his stuff, but we're going to go in and we're going to tear down the gates of hell. He's letting you know the power and the authority you have. And then he goes on. My legislative assembly, my assembled people. And let me tell you, we need to assemble. I said, we need to assemble. We need to gather. We need to come together. Period. I was down at the Magic Kingdom. It's not so magical anymore. I'm just letting you know. It's not magical. It's lost all the magic. It was nothing magical about Disney and Mickey and Donald and Goofy. It was Goofy for sure. And there was, a, coming off of one of the rides, there was a lady, I don't even know that I told you this, but there was a lady wearing a, a Texas flag face mask. And being from Texas, of course, I said, hey, I like your mask. And she said, oh, this is the Texas flag. I said, yeah, I know. That's why I like the mask. And she's like, well, I'm not from Texas. I'm from California. But when these two kids graduate, I'm moving my tail to Texas. I got to get out of California as fast as possible. She said, I can't carry a gun. I can't go to church. I can't do this. I, I said, get there as fast as you can. I said, yeah. Come, come on. Come to Georgia. Come, get open. It's a mess, I'm telling you. It is a mess. No, we, uh, uh, there is an assembly. There is an assembling of yourselves together and even more so as the day, not less, more. More. More so. Man, I'm not missing. If he, if he was that intentional about getting us to gather and even more so as the day, and I'm not letting anything stop me. I'm not. We've got to press on. We need our schools open. We need our students in school, amen? Make an influence for the kingdom of God. Don't get me started. All right. The gates of hell will not prevail. My legislative assembly and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth what is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth what is released in heaven. Now, let me tell you, listen, Matthew 16, 18 and 19 is Genesis 1, 26 all over again. God isn't changing the game plan. God isn't saying the whole earth thing didn't work out. Let's just all go back to heaven. No, he's saying, how do I reestablish what we had before? How do we do again what I was intending to do? And God did not choose to replace you. He chose to restore you. He chose to give back to you what was lost. He chose to give back to you what was handed over and what was forfeited. You have to get this. Heaven is waiting on you to move, just as God was waiting on Adam and Eve to move. It's your move, church. It's your move, church. 
We're waiting on a move of God, and God is waiting on a move of man, awaiting a move of his church to enact and walk in everything he's made available to you. This is why Jesus came. He's saying, you on earth will bind what is already bound in heaven. You on earth will loose and release what is already loosed and released in heaven. Heaven is responding to you. And we've been sitting around, we've been waiting for an angel to do it. We've been waiting around for God to do it. We've been waiting around for pastors to do it. We've been waiting around for Jesus to come back through the crowds and, and, and blow everybody away and take that demon dragon and throw him in the pit. And we've been waiting for all this stuff. And God is sitting back with his word in order already of how this is supposed to operate. Saying, you walk in the authority I've given to my church. You walk. I mean, I put it this way. Nothing should happen in this realm without the church's permission. Nothing should happen. Sickness should have to ask your permission before it comes into your body. Hello? We are to be walking in the authority of the kingdom of God. The enemy doesn't have a right to just roam around illegally through this earth and us just utterly stand by with, 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 as if we have no say in the matter. We should be speaking to these things. I had someone tell me that they didn't go to a church because of all that binding and loosing teaching. That is sad. I had someone, uh, y'all do all that binding and loosing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Who else is doing it? Who else is doing it? Did I misread the verse? Did I, did I leave something out? And I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth. Look, is there sickness in heaven? Is there lack in heaven? Is there fear in heaven? Is there anxiety in heaven? I'm, am I reading this wrong? You have the keys. I can forbid fear and release peace. I can forbid sickness and release healing. I can forbid hate and release the love of God. I absolutely can. By the power that the king has given me. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. If you don't go to a binding and loosing church, then you go to a bound church. That's the only option. I'm either actively binding and loosing or I'm remaining bound in my thinking and the enemy has me right. I told y'all last week, the enemy knows he's done for. He knows it's over. He knows he doesn't stand a chance. He knows how this thing winds up. He knows the only chance he has is to deceive you and rob you of what God's word truly says over you and to talk you out of it. It's his only chance. Is to run his mouth 
And some of us, we got to be careful because the voices that the enemy's using, we're listening to. We're entertaining. And then we wonder why we have challenge, challenges in our thinking and challenges in believing this way. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What is this passage known as? Go ahead, you can say it, you know it. Yeah, you're right. It's the Great Commission, right? We all know the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, right? You know, we, we, we are real good at picking and choosing the stuff that we like and chopping things down in, in, into palatable bites that, that we can swallow and that we can, that we, and look, here's the thing. I'm telling you right now, if this is difficult for you to discern and grab a hold of, pray to the Holy Spirit because you need his assistance to help you gather this and say, Holy Spirit, show me who I am. Show me what I have. Show me what you've called me to be. Show me, reveal to me, and he will. He will show you what we're talking about. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We already discovered last week that the gospel that we should be preaching, the good news that we should be preaching is not merely if you died today, do you know where you would go? The gospel is the kingdom has come and you have been restored back in your rightful place in the kingdom of God. It's not about where you would go when you die. It's about what are you going to do while you're living? What are you going to do while you're alive? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who what? Believe. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will what? Cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. He's not talking about going around literally handling snakes and picking them up when you see them. He's not talking about you literally drinking poison and testing it to see if it will kill you. He's talking about principalities and powers of darkness. He said nothing can stop you. It's not stronger or greater than you. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, I wonder which portion of the Great Commission that I just read to you, which is actually broken down in three different places, Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Acts chapter 1. That's all the Great Commission. It's not just one passage. It's broken up in three different locations, the Great Commission. Part of the Great Commission is go and tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything until he comes upon you and empowers you and you speak with new tongues. This is the great, but I wonder what part of the great commission we tend to adopt and which part we tend to leave out. Which part of the great commission? Now, why is the great commission so important? Because this is why. Authority must be given, it cannot be taken. Authority must be given. It cannot be taken. Try that tomorrow. Go into your place of work and take authority. 
It doesn't work. But authority can be given. And authority must be given by someone in authority. Right? So a, a peer of yours or a coworker can't give you a certain levels of authority within your workplace, can they? No, it doesn't work that way. But someone in authority can delegate authority, and now that person can operate as if they were the one in charge because the authority's been given from the one who's in authority. So this is important because this is Jesus delegating his authority to us. The Great Commission is not this, uh, this is what the church, I had someone tell me one time, why, why? I thought the Great Commission was just about getting people saved so we could all go to heaven. Where did you get that from? Who lied to you? Who told you that the Great Commission was going around and just being a, a, a good little witness and as good of a Christian as I could so I can take as many people to heaven with me as possible? What, what scripture are you using? What passage are you referencing? Where are you getting that? The Great Commission I see is authority handed from the one, the king in authority, to his delegates, a delegated authority to you and I to carry out the work because he's leaving. Because the master is leaving, and he's leaving his people in charge with the same level of authority. How do I know he's given me authority? These three words in verse 17, in my name. In my name. In my name. The name is the access to which you have authority. In my name. Why do we say in Jesus' name? Amen. Because it's not by my name. It's not by my power. It's not by my works. It's not by me being good enough. I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. But through the name of Jesus and the person of Jesus. What did Romans chapter 5 say? That we would all reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Well, how do I reign through the one Jesus Christ? Through the name of of Jesus, the name that's above every name. So in the name of Jesus, sickness has to go. In the name of Jesus, fear has to bow. In the name of Jesus, my mind has to be renewed. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. How do I exercise the authority? With the name of Jesus, and Jesus delegated his authority to us. He wasn't showing us what he could do. He was showing us what we could do and what we should do upon his departure. And you have four books displaying. Every time you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you should be reading and you should be seeing what you're capable of doing. I'll go a step further. What you are responsible for doing. Because Jesus did not intend for his work to end with him. Revelations chapter 5. Revelations chapter 5. See, I'm not doing it in my power. I don't lay hands on, on, the, on someone that is sick and say, okay, now by my power. I, I let them know. In fact, nothing that happens here determines what happens in your body. I'm laying hands on you as an access point. We're both doing this by faith. 
because that's what the book of James says. Are any sick among you? Bring them to the elders of the church. Let them lay hands on them. Right? And you can do this in your workplace. You can do this at your job. You can do this in your home. Some of you have kids laying hands on you when you get sick. If you've ever had your child come to you in childlike faith, lay hands on you when you said you had a headache or sick, let me just see your hand. They've done it. And the older we get, the less we believe that. The childlike faith to lay hands on someone and say, because I pray in the name of Jesus, I believe he'll heal you. Isn't that amazing? Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Revelation chapter five, verse eight, winding this down. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. You've redeemed us. That means you've restored us. You bought us back. You were bought with a price. Your life is not your own, the Bible says. And when God restored you, he didn't restore you to a different place. I've done this example many times. If my Bible here is sitting on this podium and it falls to the ground here, okay, man fell. Man sinned. If I pick up this Bible and I place it over here on this speaker, have I restored the Bible? How many of you would agree that I have restored the Bible? No hands. And you don't even know the full definition of restoration, but you know enough to know that restoring means to place back in an original location, in an original location location where it was before it fell you following me so if man if adam and eve were on earth in the garden and they fell why would god pick them up and put them in heaven why do we think our rightful place is in heaven why have we adopted this jesus didn't come to put us here he came to restore us back to where we were before we fell. Otherwise, it wouldn't be restoration. It'd be plan B. It'd be a whole new way. You know what Paul told the church? Be careful of anyone that tries to show you another way, a better way. No, God's doing the same thing he did in Genesis chapter one. And you and I are a part of that same plan from beginning to end. And now we're here in the book of Revelations and he says that we have been redeemed to God by the blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, verse 10, and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth, not in heaven, reign on the earth, kings and priests unto our God. Kings and priests. He's talking about us. And we will reign where? On the earth, right here. God didn't replace you, he restored you. And he put you right back where we were before we fell. 
I love this quote. Without God, we cannot. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Could he? Sure. But he's chosen not to do it without you and I. He's chosen his plan, his purpose. He said, I want to use mankind. I will use man. I will operate and work through man. I created the earth as a natural representation of a spiritual realm, heaven. And I created man as a natural representation of a spiritual God, me. And they are going to rule and they are going to reign and they are going to have dominion on that environment in that realm. Jesus came and he showed us the way and then he redeemed us and he restored us, purchased us by his blood and says, you're back in my kingdom once again. Now do carry out the work I assigned for you to do from the very beginning. Last two verses real quick. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. He says, but you have an anointing. Everyone say anointing. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You have an anointing. Go down to verse 27 in the same passage. 1 John 2, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you you will abide in him last item how is it that you and I are going to carry out our royal function how is it you and I are going to reign in life through the one Jesus Christ It's because of the anointing of God on your life. It's because of the anointing. Remember what Acts chapter 10 verse 38 said of Jesus? How Jesus of Nazareth anointed of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. Y'all remember that verse? Luke chapter four, verse 18, when he gets up before the people and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Holy Spirit is upon me for he has anointed me. Why is the anointing so important? And I don't have time to get into it today. We're gonna break this down. We're gonna go deeper into these things. But the anointing is both authorization and assistance. The anointing on your life is both authorization to do the work God has called you to do and assistance by the Holy Spirit to carry it out. Worship team, if you'd come. The anointing is both authorization. So you gotta be authorized. You gotta be authorized. You can't walk in authority that you haven't been authorized to carry out. You gotta be authorized. And the anointing comes on your life. He authorizes you. David had to be anointed to become king of Israel. 
He was anointed. Jesus said, I have to be anointed to carry out the work that he's called me. to." If Jesus had to be anointed, so do we. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to assist him, so do we. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.